0: Today we have the highly anticipated episode about DevOps, where we break down CI, CD, and the other CD, and our DevOps expert and Buckeye Nut friend, Steve Thomas, does his best to settle into the Michigan Wolverine adorned Agile After Dark Studios.
1: It's a good one, folks, so listen in. This is uh, Agile After Dark, the podcast that addresses... Topics, agile topics not talked about in the light of the day. Um, we do have in the studio, obviously, somebody who is a fan uh, from Ohio. Is it Ohio State or just Ohio or the state? Or oh, the, it's the, the. What is the the? the, the thing. What's
2: the the, well, the, the thing? Well, said without sarcasm, Brandon, yes, it is the Ohio State University. Because there's
1: another Ohio State that you're trying to distinguish yourself from? Hell no. But why is it the Ohio State as opposed to just Ohio State? Like Colorado State is just Colorado State.
2: Because it's the university.
1: Oh, I see, okay. So hey, we're uh, here in the studios, as I mentioned. We've got our resident cat in the heartland. Um, and I don't know if you want to introduce uh, our friend here who is uh, looking through some of our AV equipment boxes. Yep, yeah, that's Sassafras. Uh, that is Sassafras, known as Sass or Sassy. Um, we've got a good episode and one I think that is I don't know if it's near and dear to my heart because really I hate the subject, but I found it very interesting because we've got a special guest uh, with us today, Steve Thomas um, of SIQ. Steve's got a, a, a varied background uh, doing a number of things. Steve, you want to give us a just quick background on where you're coming from and what you've done in the past? Blank. Or you don't have to if you don't want to. Yeah. Okay. Steve <laughs> knows a lot of stuff. Yeah, this, go, we'll just go from there. This is what he did to Christy. Yeah, yeah first podcast, like, yeah, and
0: you know. she was like, "Oh, well, thanks, thanks for that." Yeah, this is the this is the yeah. host. This is
1: the guy I, I promoted to host. Steve right. Steve's a guy who has glasses and has a lot of experience, and he's <laughs> gonna hopefully say something interesting. Right, so, is that a good intro, Steve? Uh, whatever you. He has very. By the way, have you ever noticed mm-hmm. how charming his blue or his blue green eyes are? Brandon? I mean, that's I never noticed that until just yeah. now. It's just very... Yeah, neat. we're related because I have blue eyes as well. Oh, okay. So that's the... I, you mean, didn't I hear never heard that they were bluish green, but... I'm just... Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm smitten right now. I okay.
2: can't even say. Oh, yes. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, yeah, my background is as a developer, you know, first, you know, and then uh, spent a lot of time at, you uh, know, AT&T Bell Labs, you know, and working is different things in that role, all sorts of different uh, work, but, uh, and then I've been an agile coach uh, for a number of years and gotten to uh, hang around with a number of people who are working, you know, doing really good things as far as transforming. So my background uh, started off in development in uh, robotics actually, um, working and doing uh, manufacturing control systems. Which is where I did my development. And then all of my system, all of the work that I did was uh, internal embedded systems. And so the places where I started coaching in Agile were people who were doing fairly technical software, you know, for. Embedded systems, mostly.
0: Oh, wow, that's interesting. God, I, I, I feel know so dumb, going. Brandon. Do, yeah. you, uh, do
1: we want to continue this? Because well, I don't know. Okay, can
0: we just talk about he got his graduate degree from Ohio State, but he got his undergraduate engineering degree from Carnegie Mellon. I, I don't know if I can even even keep up at this point. Yeah. But uh, speaking of Carnegie Mellon, because it's p- towards Pennsylvania, we have to kind of uh, give props out to, to what we're drinking today. So uh, where I went to college was in Boston. And I'm drinking a Samuel Adam, Samuel Adams Coffee Black Lager, which is just very tasty. But I think it's actually going to last the whole podcast because it's not something you want to drink too quickly.
1: Are they Are they a sponsor, Brandon? No, no, we're working on that. We're working on, on that. We're working on that. You know, I got I got some local ties. All right, All right. Okay. So, so Steve, how are you, are you doing? I I've
2: got a uh, Two Brothers uh, Domaine de Page. Uh, it's their French Country Ale, which is very tasty. Um, um, I've, in the heartland here, I've kind of
1: fallen in
0: love with that one. Yep, we kind of had it left over from the last podcast, and Steve's I, a big fan.
1: Actually, the reason I was drinking it last time, because Steve recommended it. And I'm just drinking bourbon as usual. So, boring. This episode, titled CI, CD, You Think You're Better Than Me. Um, let's be honest. DevOps, that term is used at least 10 times a day, and I'm not sure anybody knows exactly what it means and so today we're going to dive into challenging you again as the concept of agile after dark on what concepts constructs and prejudices you have about ci cd and devops and what we're going to talk about delving into that
0: yeah as we get into that i think it's important to know that in a recent uh, survey uh, 2016 puppet survey of about uh, over 4500 it professionals IT departments with a strong DevOps workflow deployed software 200 times more frequently than low performing IT departments. so I think there's a really important topic but it's as, as Greg said, DevOps is seen as you read that sort of stuff from the survey and you think okay it's important but what is it really?
1: and that's kind of what I think we, we want to get into at the beginning of this with you Steve Well and you know I'll, I'll tell you Steve in my experience even at a startup and we've made this this comment before, It's easy for a startup to use agile. Even in startups, nobody wants to do automated testing. The developers fight it. They don't want to do it because it's not creative. It's not the kind of work they want to do. And you suffer every time if you don't make the commitment to do it up front. And even in the last startup I was at, which was a security company, they still fought it even though obviously, you know, financial services industry, you know, there are regulations that you have to do it. So let's bring it down to why, I, I would like to start to know why DevOps really is important and why it's not just a chore or something somebody says needs to happen. Why, As a product person, why do I care about DevOps?
2: That's a good question, but I'm first going to backtrack and say, you know, uh, because we're talking about DevOps, but we're talking about it kind of in the same way that everyone out there or at least 90 some percent to you of the folks talk about it which is you're thinking devops primarily in terms of automate test automation and whatever and that's not it so wait
1: wait hold on you're saying that devops isn't just cd and ci there's more to it
2: oh much more so that's that's wow um (laughs) That's the beginning, uh, but you're not even at DevOps. you know. So those are the foundations that you have to put it. So automated testing, sure, you need that in place in order to get to continuous integration. You need that in place to get to continuous delivery. You need that in place before you can think about continuous uh, deployment. Um, and then once you've got, now you're beginning to talk about DevOps, but you know, as some of the folks that, that I hung around, you know, so, who finally taught me, okay, what is this really? If you don't have ops in the equation, you're not talking DevOps. So, until ops is in part of the mix, you're talking about something else. You're talking about continuous integration or something before that.
0: Yeah, and I think what we've seen is or what I've heard at least without being nearly the expert that you are in this is that, you know, kind of DevOps focuses more on the culture, where CI/CD focuses on the processes and tools necessary to help teams adapt to a culture of continuing everything well that's that's partially true certainly the the devops
2: folks when they have done like some of their conferences devops days and stuff like that they have begun to recognize and they emphasize them the cultural aspects because those guys they're i mean you think developers are geeks the ops people they're really geeks and they're into their tools And so they'll be talking about, you know, Puppet and Chef and Nexus and, you know, the GitLabs and Jenkins and all of these tools. And they want to geek out on all of those tools. And they've had to rein themselves back to say, you know, those in the leader leading that to say, hey, it's more about the the culture shift.
1: So, Steve, what I'm hearing you say, which I think is typical in any development scenario, it's not a battle about frameworks languages. It's more of a cultural shift is what you're saying, right? It's not about the tools. It's not about the frameworks. It's about a mind shift. Is that right? And is that why people like me who care about product more and delivery more should care about this? Oh my gosh.
2: The people who, who really care about product, you know, and delivery, those are the people who are, once they understand it, they're fantastic fans of it because it's all about how do I get the new product changes into my uh, customer's hands faster, um and in uh with higher quality and better which is a big thing we'll get into it's like here's everyone's thinking oh wait a minute if i release faster i'm going to deliver crap out there you know but no it's it's about getting it into your customers hands faster getting the feedback from your customers in a much faster way so that's But in order to do that, there is a huge aspect of tooling, um, as well as the organizational structure about how do we get all of these my dev people and my ops people working together.
1: And so so let me just say this. So in order to be agile, and let's put that into quotes, Right. This is a this is a visual podcast. There's a cool. there's it's a. I'm just that's why I made sure I mentioned that. Mm-hmm. You really can't be agile unless you are incrementally delivering, and therefore, this this is really a requirement if you really want to call yourself agile and not just, you know, there's teams that are doing sprints every two weeks. This is a key component of that, and I'm sure Brennan, we're gonna go into that more in depth. But I think that's a critical piece because this is a Burden. Nobody wants to do it. Right. Nobody understands how important it is. But we need to explore why that's important. Yeah, and I think
0: would it be a good step towards that to to kind of echo what Steve's saying, is kind of st- taking a step back from the DevOps thing because that is just a behemoth that we will we will get through through this podcast. But I wonder, in terms of kind of taking us through the steps of CI, right, CD. And then thinking in terms of people like Greg, the annoying product people, where they're saying, "Where am I getting value?" You know, and kind of you know whether it's speaking to canary testing or how much does it cost? Blue green deployment, you know, things like that. But is it really the cost versus the value? It is a cost but also the value in
1: terms of getting where you need you to be. You say so quality. I don't even know what that means. What So what? The developers are supposed to do their job. Why do I care? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming if I if you signed up for this amount of work and I'm paying for it, I assume that you're giving me quality. So w- why do I care about all this? You, you're going to care about it if you want
2: fast feedback, if you want to be able to know, all right, is this a, so if you're a real product person and you're saying, all right, I'm Ooh, talking to real customers challenge. as mm-hmm. opposed to – I mean, there's so many in large corporations, so many, you know, that are intermediates, you know, and when, uh, you know, the company, the large company I was in, hey, it was, we we counted and it was um, four layers of people within the organization. So our developers, they could not even, it was four layers they had to get through to talk to someone from the customer side and they weren't even the users of our equipment you know so it was just you know, it, it was mind-blowing you know anyway a real product person i got lost on my
1: tangent. no no yeah you know, oh the, steve rants <laughs> <had>, <laughs> a new bit we, we, we got a new bit we got steve Show. Rantz.
2: <laughs> so a real product person who's saying hey i'm in touch with a customer they're going to want fast feedback of oh okay we're going to chain we, we want to deploy this is that going to work or not is that going to be helpful in driving more sales and being better for the customer that you want to be able to ha- put it in production in a limited fashion that's not going to do too much damage to your brand you know test it validate it get it out there know whether it's causing damage you know whether it's you know whether you put out a new change and guess what you know 20 percent of my transactions fail also, you're going to want to know that stuff, but you want to get the changes out soon so that you can beat your competition.
1: So let me put it... So I think I hear what you're saying. And again, from the, the crazy product person perspective... Here comes Greg's rants. You, you... Essentially, everybody agrees. Yes, you want to get product to market faster so you can get feedback. But you, you don't want to be getting feedback on defects. You want to get feedback on quality... Products so that you can you can essentially design or redesign or respond from a product perspective, right. not just solving defects. Right, your customer shouldn't be your defect. You know, team.
2: Customer is tester. Yeah. Yeah. Hey.
1: Which, but 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 I think a lot of people think that that's you know it's like oh well the devs just do their thing they kick it over the wall and the quality factor. Right. right? right. The Quality is not testers' quality. The team owns quality. Right. And DevOps is part of the quality. Right, and so you want to make sure that when it does go to the customer, it's gone through enough rigorous um, quality control, let's call it, or quality assurance with, I mean- Yeah, you want something. to have so, a lot of
2: testing. There's so several that stages you're getting good pipeline.
0: feedback,
1: not just defects.
0: Yeah, and I think there's some of the advancement that I've heard of and kind of seen in the CI, CD, and to a certain level of DevOps, which is, I mentioned earlier, kind of the canary testing. Yeah. Right, which mm-hmm. is, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but as I understand it, is you can release things to a very small Absolutely. population of your consumers, and say and see early adopters. Early, right? well, it does wh- whoever you want to target, right? Right. It depends on how you're how
2: you're structuring it. You can release to let me just you know if if I'm a sur- doing software as a service, I can release to a random selection of you know one percent of my population and. In, it might be for if you're using my service it might be one transaction of yours out of 3 you know if my if my software as a service is structured in a way that you're like all right if something goes wrong or whatever you know, hey it'll just you know the the system itself will recover or whatever you can do that sort of canary testing it could be you're selecting okay here's the population that i want to test with or it could be a random selection and that's the power of some of these tools in a real DevOps environment is they have the tooling to be able to select. Who do I want to test it?
0: Yeah, and I think I wanted to get that out there because you know I like Steve's rants better than Greg's rants. What? Um, but, uh, but I do want to take a step back and because Greg and I were uh, at one of the hotels in the Heartland where we, where we were doing a project with Steve and we had some free drinks flowing. And
1: good at night, the time, by the way. Good yeah, that, night. Was, that was a good night.
0: And Steve basically broke down the CI, CD, and CD? CD, yeah. Right. And if you could kind of like take our listeners through, because we have different, I think, levels
1: of listeners of the seven people that listen to our podcast. Okay. <laughs> and I, by the way, and I do want to mention to the three people that have listened to this, that this this was a huge revelation for me as a product person. It really helped me understand how distinct those pieces are and how they fit. So I think it's really important for all parts of the business and or development delivery to understand how you broke this down for me. It was very helpful. So uh, so now good. that you've been validated, do you uh, mind yeah, kind of sure. taking
0: us through as much as you can remember since we did as, have as much as I can remember free drinks, right? Flowing.
2: Yes, that was a good night. Yeah. So right so you know, I remember one of your questions was, okay, what's the difference between CI and CD? And I said, well, which CD are you talking about? Because that's one of the first, you know, I said continuous delivery or continuous deployment. And you're like, I don't know, because <laughs> what's that the difference? Me. That was me, I said
1: that, but a lot of makers
0: flowing Right,
2: so you need, continu- you need continuous integration and that's the starting point, you know, okay. And when you mentioned earlier, you know, Agile teams, you're right, you cannot be doing, you cannot be a real Agile team and not have some level of automated testing going on and continuous integration. And that's just, that's table stakes. That's just getting in the door, but you're not anywhere close to DevOps. You know, that's just, all right, I I've I can do, when I complete my code, I can, uh, I check it in and it automatically builds it and runs it through some sanity testing, runs it through some unit testing. Now, once I've developed my automated test suite to a sufficient level, then uh, you know, taking it through, uh, let me see, sanity testing and uh, some of the basic unit testing and functional testing, and then I'm going to say, all right, let me go take the next set. I'm going to have a pipeline to run it through,
1: say. Wait, h- hold on. I- I'm not like, confused. Like, what? I, Like, so all this has become spaghetti. So all development teams want is automated testing, Unit testing, automated testing, like what? What's why do they need more than that? I don't get it. Well, I think Steve and I
0: have worked together with some teams, and there's the testing pyramid. Yeah. So can you take exactly. us kind of through that. There's some people that may not understand what that is. Well,
2: and the things that are part of that testing pyramid, but you're you, are, you vary, but yes, there's the whole notion of uh, you're going to have to fill in what are the layers here. Yeah, I can't
0: remember, but basically, it's the idea of. Um, it's this v th- this yeah this is a very a v informative versus, podcast yeah oh, v right. versus like the actual pyramid right? right so a lot of the the teams they kind of have the v right where it's kind of like they're starting doing some of the yeah that's right unit uh, testing now
2: requirements and then design and then so you're going down the curve to this v and then the testing is going back up again right. so at the, at the at the bottom of this you know uh the bottom of this pyramid okay we're doing unit level testing Mm -hmm. and then we're going to go up to some functional level testing and then we're going to move from there up to integration as this my the component that i've just completed you know this uh whether it's a class or this component whatever it is as it integrates with all of the other pieces
0: yeah and it just gets more complex right as it goes up and so the more testing Mm -hmm. it's more Man hours, if you will, right? Right. To do the
1: manual testing. Well, is it? But is it manual testing or is it automated? Testing? No, no. That's that's, well,
0: that's why the reverted. sad
2: part right. is that in many of the current organizations, many of those layers are manual testing, and when it's manual testing, the best you can do is hit a few test cases that, in, in a microscopic. Segment of the population are selected on a scientific basis, but on the vast majority of uh, organizations are selected based on a, oh, here's what some quote expert tester thinks is the right thing to test, um, but so
1: let's let me just let's point that out. Is that that is then a failure in the design of of DevOps? Is that manual testing piece because it costs a lot of money. They're probably just hired guns that don't know anything about what the intent is of the software. Product. So if guy. I'm a product guy, product guy. I'm like, All why about are the you money. hiring those guys? So many money, spending money when I could have experts writing automated tests to, and then hire good quality people to do right. edge cases or you know outliers to really test what we would care about.
2: Right, right. You're you're exactly right, and that's where so many organizations get penny wise and you know pound you know really uh, stupid. You know, because they're thinking, all right, well, but my manual testers, I can hire, you know, I can hire stupid monkeys, you know, panning on a keyboard much cheaper than I can hire, you know, someone who, because the skills to do automated testing to both A, know my product and know the right test cases to build and then automate those. I mean, that is a, that's an advanced software development
1: skill so do you think that's a, a, an issue in the industry is that oh, we yeah. don't yeah. and we don't think about quality as a part of the team owns quality as, a, as an overall strategy right. which is just we're gonna hire a bunch of people that can do like, again click buttons but it doesn't well, we need to do it we need to do it faster so therefore we need
0: more people to do the inverted right pyramid versus let's have the unit testing part at the bottom right and then all of the things that we're doing above that is mostly automated.
2: Right, right. You want it to be mostly automated, you know, and the, so there's these different layers of it. There's the the integration testing, then there's going to be system testing. Then, you know, before you get to continuous deployment, you're also talking about my security testing. So there's, in many organizations, it will, after the team, so, and I'm going to go backwards a little bit, when you mentioned about these manual testers that's actually fully opposed to agile because how can you have manual testers inside of an, a small agile team you just don't have enough staff for that enough you you would be that's why they have those manual testers they're a whole separate team because that's what it takes with that many bodies that many hands
0: and hey, we've talked about it, Steve before and the kind of experience we've had teams working together oh, is the whole full slice right versus Okay, I'm doing this development work as a story, and then I'm going to pass it off to do the you know the tester as a story, which makes sense when you have to do all of that manual testing on all of that work that you're doing as a developer, and if you're going to fit it into two weeks, one week, or as we've had experience even less than that, uh, that's almost impossible, and 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 that's that's the learning curve in terms of and uh, to your point where having a higher level tester in terms of experience. I will say with some of the stuff that Steve and I have worked in in the past is that if you work with a manual tester and have someone that's kind of like a, whether it's a tech coach or something like that, that is able to kind of show them some of the ways of automation, they get it. Mm -hmm. They absolutely get it. And they realize that they can be working on automation testing scripts that your shell scripts or what have you that they can be working on while people are working on the development work on the stories that they're they a part of. Right. And they can get ahead of the game. Oh, so
1: yeah. so what I'm hearing, I'm getting a little bit bored, just so we're clear. You I, I, say, like, how so, much does this cost? So how much, first of all, how much does it cost? But what I heard you say is an outsourced, which is probably going to be primarily what is going to happen if you're doing manual testing. Right. Let's just be honest about Oh, it. yeah. That's, they're they're and, hiring cheap labor. Right. Yep. And... So they could care less about the product. They have no idea, no vision about what the product is. Our last podcast dealt with product roadmaps and how you have to have teams and individuals invested in the roadmap and understanding what they're doing. Manual testers have... Really, no care, and there are certain. Mm-hmm. I think manual testing does have its place in certain circumstances. Oh, and absolutely. But from a product perspective, you you have to have people invested in understanding what the vision of that product is. You you have have to order. have people sign up for Dumbledore's army. Just another HP. Right? Oh <laughs> my god, he's bringing back the whole Harry Potter thing. It never <laughs> will end. But so so I think maybe now might be time to take a break, and we might want to tell people how they get in touch with us if they have some interesting information which or questions which i don't have in front of me it's agileafterdark.com or something like that is it really that hard i don't know
0: it's it's <laughs> feedback at
1: agileafterdark.com right let me That's say that again exactly right let me
0: say that again feedback at agileafterdark.com
1: yes and we're gonna go 10 to our resident uh cat in the studio sassy and we'll be back after this Seriously, Michigan. So you grew up in Ohio. Steve? You grew up in Ohio? No, 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 no. I grew up down in Tennessee. Yeah, but yeah. So, but he's you... he's
0: from the Heartland. I... I'll just leave it at yes, that. Yes, I am from the Heartland. Wait, so what does the Heartland he's...
1: extend to where you? No, 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 I was no, born no.
2: here, born yeah. here in the Heartland. Yeah. But my parents migrated down to Tennessee.
1: Oh, the Heartland. Yeah. So does the Heartland include Michigan and Ohio? No. Yes. Not Michigan. No. What's Michigan?
2: Uh, Not the heartland. Uh, let me see. A swamp? That's the state um, up south.
0: <laughs> mm. Up north.
2: Right. It's the state up north. State up north. It's, it's officially you know, known as the state of north, or that land, or that cesspool up north.
0: We are back. And during the break, I switched to the Suntay Whiskey Toki, and we were talking with Steve about how large organizations can take a trial approach to DevOps.
2: So even, even in a, in a larger or organization, you could take a particular application that's, say, my front-end you know, user experience, and they could be doing DevOps uh, on that so that it's deploying, whether it's continuous deployment, and then I manually do a checkout and say, yeah, let's put it into production, or I'm going ahead and doing continuous delivery with load servers and so that All right, I released it to ten percent or five percent of my population. I do a soak test to see if it stays live or not. You know, so I can be doing that DevOps. So I've got my ops people paying attention to you know what's going on in my pipeline. I can do that with a fair, even in a large corporation, with a small segmented product.
1: Okay, so you let's just take a startup. Okay, so you've got automated tests, which if right. you can get the developers to sign up for that, which you have to. And you have to, They're starting to, to yeah. figure it out, but they, they still fight.
2: Well, and that's where this the developer ego thing gets. Yes. You know, it's like, hey, I want to develop new stuff. Recon- not recognizing that, hey, the expertise that I need to do automated testing. I mean, frankly, yeah, I, I get so frustrated with developers because put on your big boy pants. I mean, you're, if you're, you're developing you should also be doing test automation that's right you know it's one and the same you can't release your code you know if you're a particularly in a small startup hey who else, are you wanting to hire monkeys to do this
1: I know and by the way I was just in a startup last year a, a fairly successful startup and they still didn't want to do automated mm. testing they just fight it all day long so once they do the automated testing, the continuous integration, again, for us product people who don't understand the technical side of thing, is really just is making is ensuring that those um, the the pieces that are being built are working together. Is that right?
2: Right, right. I mean, I check in a piece of code and it automatically gets validated through an initial set of automated tests, which is an expanding. You know, it, with a good team, that's a constantly expanding set of automated tests, and you know. You're going to get, you know, some people are going to get, and a lot of large corporations get wound around the axle about. Oh my gosh, I can't spend that many resources on testing. But any smart organization says, "Hey, buying more MIPs is cheap." You know, yeah. since I can yeah. I can constantly validate that any change that I put in place works. And so, and then deployment is really going to a production environment, right? production right so i in order to get to continuous deployment i need to take it through not just this local level the team, well what the teams often think of oh they're doing their testing which is unit testing and some integration testing but when you talk to ops people they're like hell you you have only begun to scratch the surface of the type of testing I want to put in place before I will put your crappy product out on my production, mm. you know, set of systems oh, environment. So point the ops people they bring in and say, "All right, I want to do sanity testing. I want to do performance testing. I want to do interoperability testing. I want to do security testing. Make sure you haven't introduced any more security loopholes into my, you know, network."
1: So they okay. get. They add a whole different set. Of okay, testing. so interesting. I I didn't pick up on that before. So, the the deployment and delivery people are gonna say, I don't trust these devs. Oh, absolutely. And they didn't think of everything, so we're gonna put it now through. So now we're talking about a whole another layer of costs.
2: Right. No, no, it's the cost you're already right. paying. Right. You know the challenges that you've got. Uh, and that's where so much of the DevOps you know, uh, articles t- talk about this cultural mindset because it, at the very foundation, the development organization is focused on how do I get change out there? I'm responsive to my product person, get ch- you know, put a new change out there, put a new ch- so they're driving for new change faster. My ops people, though, are rewarded, they're, you know, they're compensated on keep the system alive, keep the system freaking stable. Now, the Stabilist system means to put up a big hand to the developers anytime they want to make a change because anything the developers are going to do is going to cause disruption. So bringing a, this cultural aspect of it is bringing the trust between the ops people and the dev people saying, hey, how do we come together and actually respond to the product people and say, hey,
0: let's provide the most value for the company. Yeah, and I think that was one of the questions that, you know, Greg and I talked about to, to talk to, about you with, which is there's a, that fear of pushing the button. Yeah. And mistakes are going to go to production. Now, keep in mind that companies like Netflix can complete integration, testing, delivery in a matter of two to three hours. And you know, they've established a system that passes code from hand to hand without indecision and discussion. It's not 100 percent automated because that's basically almost impossible. But they're
1: small; co- they're doing small changes. If you're doing a big release at a financial services company, you're not going to have that flexibility. I mean, right? I mean, there are so many more gates you have to go through from security to regulation, regulation, all that stuff. No, is that regu- right or not? The regulation is a red herring, yo. Um, and Steve is—he's <laughs> on fire. He's yeah.
0: Like, he, he,
2: yeah, you know, there are so many things, but it has totally to do with batch size. So, when my change is big, then yeah, it's got to go through all of these gates and I'm going to tr- I'm not going to trust it and it's like but the reason that I have to go through all of those gates is only because it's a big it's a big set of changes. The or the companies that have learned to do this well have said, you know what? The secret sauce to this is just doing it in very small, tiny changes. So while you're saying, well, that's just because it's a tiny change, that's in fact the secret sauce. Make it a very small change and only deploy it. So when they're deploying it, they these advanced companies, they have the software to be able to say, all right, I'm only going to deploy it to 5% of my you know customer base.
1: I don't know about you, Brandon, but I think Steve is dreamy. Right well, <laughs> I mean, absolutely.
0: And I think to the regulation thing, going um, me pull up my nerd thing here, ah, nerd. Uh, that the Government Accountability Office report and uh, ITA dashboard data indicated the agencies spend approximately 70% of their IT budgets on operations of approximately, um, operations, excuse me, of legacy infrastructure and maintenance of current systems and applications. So I think that goes to the point of the regulatory thing being kind of red herring it's just like they're they're spending all this money but it's just and this is from a product person looking at Greg is that why are we spending this money mm-hmm.
2: right right now to be fair for some products that are that are safety oriented you're not going to deploy those in even a 5% you're going to go through extra gates for that, and that's why there's a difference between continuous deployment, which is I'm deploying it out to a production server but not turning it on, and I'm I'm taking it through some other uh, testing before I say yeah let's go live with this. And a continuous delivery, you know, so some companies can do continuous delivery where I'm putting it into live production, you know, in an automated fashion, but uh, many other companies are going to all right I can take it through all of these. Types of testing, put it into deployment. And there's a whole separate uh, science of how you know how do I deploy it to a production environment and not have it live. But that's where they want to be able to those systems, you know, get the same inputs that the live system is getting. Mm-hmm. We did this in telecom, you know. We, you know, in a telecom, we need, you know, five, nine, six, nine reliability. You don't put crappy software out there mm-hmm. and expect, you know, because we've only got six, nine reliability. We've only got for any given piece of equipment six minutes of downtime a year. That's not much. So you want a system that's going to be, you know, uh, in production like that's receiving the same inputs from production, generating the outputs, but they're not real. Right, so that you can basically
1: shadow. So there's a your safeguard production. there. Yes, yeah. right. So so some so, systems are going to definitely do that. So we've gone through deployment, delivery, and again, maybe delivery isn't best for all situations, right. especially as it relates to, you know, specific products. And now let. So now are we at this weird line where we're not talking about a c word and we're going up to the. The D words. We're the finally, yeah, we finally a DevOps. So now? it's not
0: a P word, so we can get <laughs> not into a it. P word.
1: We're not. We're we're not continuous or or anything like that. We're right. now at a Dev. Right. Ops. Once once
2: you've gotten to continuous deployment or continuous delivery, you've finally gotten to the place where you can introduce ops people, and that again, that's the that's the the critical piece. If you're talking DevOps. When, you know, when you're you know, talking to anyone of these you know, 90% of the people who say oh yeah we're doing DevOps uh, do you have Ops involved? No. Then you're not talking DevOps. Once you've got continuous deployment or continuous delivery you can finally involve Ops in the do, equation. Do we
1: like Ops people? I, I, I like I'm oh, just I saying I love Ops people. Oh, I just feel bad I like most. Like, it sounds like Money falling from the sky, ops. What do they do? I don't know what they do. What do they do? Why do I care? Why should I love them?
2: Oh, you try it. They do get persecuted on on the budget side. It's like, yeah, hey, new functionality. They don't, they're not, they keep your system alive and running. Um, And so all the revenue that you're currently getting is because ops is keeping stuff alive and running. Um, So if ops doesn't work, oh my God, everyone notices. When
1: ops does work, Nobody notices. Okay, Steve just got red in the face about ops. Okay, so just what? He feels obviously very passionate about the ops people and he's changing my mind
2: about it. I've had some some good friends who are ops. Now, as a developer from background, yeah, and I know most developers are like, you know, there's been this constant friction between development side and ops side. And so. Hey, they're j- developers look at Ops as, you're just a thorn in my side, you just put up the hand, you say no, you've found all these reasons why we can't do it. That's what
0: DevOps is about, is well, bringing the two together. That's exactly what I was going to ask. So like it, it, naturally, we were we started this whole podcast about DevOps is this hot new word and so right. forth, but there had to be a reason. Right? Oh, absolutely. For getting yeah. into it. So. Uh,
2: it was the next natural stage for where agile real agile teams to go it's like all right we were doing continuous you know integration but then it was piling up in a big batch for ops to finally let it go you know and how did you break that the only way you can break that is to bring ops people into an agile mindset
1: so how i mean this i don't know how you feel brandon but i mean for me this is this is more helpful even than that night that we were you know at the free drinks Marriott. Yeah. more yeah. helpful well, than free well, drinks you are a dumb dog but true it takes <laughs> me a few times but i will say you know thinking about the ops people from a product perspective as the people that keep your let's say current revenue stream alive because they're making sure the lights are on oh yeah yeah right and the contention between <clears throat> the people who are trying to innovate in quotes or whatever, the devs, which we want them to be that way. We want them to do innovative things. We want them to break things. There is, you know, an interesting contention between those two, which you're bringing up, which I never knew that before. And so as a person who may be managing a business, how how can you help bridge that gap? And then we're going to get to Nirvana, which we haven't even got to. We haven't got to I'm Nirvana. I'm excited yeah. about it. I don't know about you. I know that Sassy here in the studio is getting excited about it. She's trembling. But, but how do you bridge the gap to get those two? Because it's almost like business and technology. We always have that issue, right? Right, you know, right. Agile thing. This seems to me like a similar pattern.
2: Oh, it is. It is. And so that's where, you know, because you're right. Agile brought business and, and development together. Um one the reason to merge the two words, dev and ops, you know, develop dev It was this, you know, symbol of, hey, these got to, they've got to live together. Instead of being pulling from two different sides, put the two of them together. DevOps. Oh, which everyone, of course, co-opted because the, you know, they love the term. But mm-hmm. even though they have no clue, but that yeah. goes back to where we were at the beginning. Yeah, right. So what if they're in the same team? saying, okay, our shared goal is to deliver more value quickly to our end customers. We can share that goal, you know, which is, you know, I mean, devs had their own goal of, you know, just push stuff out. Ops had, I want to keep the system stable, mm-hmm. you know, so that I can keep it up. Yeah. You know, if we together, uh, you know, have this shared goal of uh, of releasing more value quickly, That's where we bring them together, and that's what DevOps started with.
0: And it's kind of interesting to me thinking of kind of the natural progression of this, which is Agile came along and said, you know, let's break things down smaller. Let's do full slices, and you can be as Agile as you want to be, but then if you don't have CI, you can only go so far. You push up against the wall. And then once you kind of break that barrier of the CI, then it's the two CD's. Right to a certain extent, and then there was the ops that was kind of that that barrier that all of them felt. It's kind of what I've I've based on what you were saying now. I really do feel that it's kind of been the barriers that have been broken as we've learned from iterative development, from you know developing teams that are more agile that are doing more iterations at smaller cadences. That that's the stuff that we're running into. Um, I, I think it's just a very interesting natural progression of we're kind of continuing to push against the wall.
1: But I don't know about you, Brandon, but I, I, and I don't know if this is just based on how you've kind of positioned this, Steve, but the CDs after we get through automated testing right. and continuous integration, the CDs versus the ops, the DevOps. I, I think that's a I don't think people think of it that way. And again, people are just using, like you said, they co op the term DevOps and they mean right. all of this that you're talking about. We haven't even got to Nirvana yet by No, the way. we haven't oh, got right, right. Um, but you know, it's it's really important for us to help companies, clients, whoever, understand the nuances of these things because I think they when they conflate them, they'll fail. Oh, they do, they do. And that's where with any given
2: client, I have to uh, probably stop myself, you know, a couple of times when they'll they'll mention the term DevOps one too many times and I'll go on a rant, you know, and say, all right, are we involving ro- ops? No. All right, then please stop because what you're talking about is continuous integration. The vast majority of, t- of organizations, when they say DevOps... All they're really talking about, and they say, yeah. Oh, I've got this, my DevOps team. Yeah. It's just doing setting up continuous yeah. integration, yeah, you know, which is basic table stakes. You know, they need to get you know beyond to that. But once you involve the ops people, you know, into your team, and you're starting, you say, Oh, okay, so what's my perspective? How do I get uh, my my stuff my my work into production and i bring the ops mindset about safety now something you mentioned earlier about hey pushing that button the funny funny thing is that once the organizations that put that in the hands they build up this automation for all the way to continuous deployment or even continuous delivery and say okay devs it's now in your hand when you submit that code It's going to go through this testing, this testing, this testing, this testing. If it passes all of that, then guess what? It's going to go live in production while the devs have been pushing for Oh my God, Ops is such a pain. You know they hold things up. Once the, the button is in their hands instead of Ops, oh my gosh, they get so much ah, more conservative about. Hey, wait a minute. Let me double check. Am I sure about that?
0: Ah, uh, so okay. then pushing the That's button, pushing the button.
1: The the reality of that, the weight. Yeah. So that kind of brings us back around, as opposed to being technically nerdy about this stuff, to an agile concept, right? Which is Right. Everybody has a stake. Everybody has the uh, responsibility for delivery. Right. Right. And so I think putting, having devs be responsible, not just, and remember back in the old days it was, well, I'm just going to just do code and QA people (laughs) just like find my shitty code bet. Sorry. No, you're good. Beep. You're good. City code. And then I kick, they'll kick it back to me if it's bad. It, right. That was the first battle, which yeah. is no, you're not, you're supposed to deliver good code. Quality is supposed to find edge cases, et cetera. Right. This is kind of an, ex, is, is this, an, I'll ask you, is this an extension of that? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, and
0: I, one of the things that I think, Steve, you and I have run into is when you have testers that have done manual work, yeah. you know, testing, going back to the CI stuff, they look at it and thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm, if I do automated, I'm basically working myself out of a job. Oh my gosh,
2: yeah, that, that's that's their that's the fear for some uh, companies and for some testers. But oh my gosh, no, I mean you look at the level and the amount of automated testing, and then you can't just keep adding to your automated test suites, you've got to keep uh, refining those and in essence grooming those, pulling out the the tests that don't. And when I mentioned earlier about scientifically selecting which tests, there is a science to that right. You know, around reliability testing to say, of all of the test cases that I could possibly run, which are the ones, which are the few that are going to give me the most feedback and there's a science around that. And we have very few organizations leveraging that.
1: I, I don't know about you, Brandon. And we haven't even got to Nirvana yet, but um, yeah. I'm in love with Steve. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's like, check out the big brain. Well, I I, I've, I've had
0: the opportunity to work very closely with Steve uh, with Teams and so forth. So, you know, I, 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 I definitely like it more than I like you. But I don't know <laughs> if I can handle Nirvana,
1: to be honest. <laughs> I'm going to have to leave the room. Yeah. Right now, I before where we get to Nirvana. Yeah. Do you want to take a break? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we definitely down? should take
0: a break. Um, again, any questions or feedback should be sent to, what is it, Greg? Uh,
1: something at someinformation.com. Feedback. Something like that? Yeah. Feedback. Feedback yeah, at dark. Why don't you get
0: another maker's mark Well, people send things to Let's feedback at agileafterdark.com. com. <laughs>
1: The Agile After Dark Studios have a lot of Michigan gear in them. Do, what, I mean, how does that make you feel, being an Ohio fan? Uh, nauseous. Mm. So all I need to tell you, Greg, is just say "oh io." There you go. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I have no yeah. idea what that means. I cannot right. believe I what, participated wait, 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 in that. Wait. I was trying to wait. have
2: Greg do it. What do you mean you don't understand what that
1: means? It's only four letters. How can you not get it? Because I just don't pay. I'm from Colorado. We have a lot of letters in our name of our
0: state. Yeah, no name
1: college. And we can't understand something with four letters. Okay. Yeah. Hey, so here we are on Agile After Dark. We're talking about all of our favorite subject, which is, you know, the whole DevOps thing. I think we've demystified some of it. I think Steve has actually brought up some fairly controversial uh issues uh, as it relates to dev- development and, uh, and operations and now we are at the point where we are talking about dev ops nirvana now I, th- I never thought i'd say those words together DevOps and nirvana together but i think we're going there and oh, yeah. i don't even know what it means i barely can keeping up with what we've learned so far which is hugely helpful to me as a product guy but i think i'll let uh brandon kind of kick us off and let's how, how do we get to nirvana
0: yeah. I mean, I think for me and, and working with Steve in the past, it's there's been a lot of progression in terms of the CI let's automate the CD and CD to, to a certain level of the push button. But after that, when we're talking about the ops and stuff, you know, how they all integrate, let's say that all at any particular client is okay. We've figured that out. We're in a good space. What's the next thing? I mean, I know there's cloud services, there's kind of a lot of other uh, things that are kind of coming because of, honestly, technological advances. Oh, right?
1: sure. But, right. but, I mean, how, how realistic? Oh, you say are, you know, most of, you know, some clients are to a point. What, what, if you could just guess, and you don't have your computer in front of you to give me Harry Potter quotes, but like, what, what, how many companies do you really think understand or at the point where they could actually be at Nirvana or be set up to be at Nirvana? To be at Nirvana,
2: it's very few um, because what well, you mentioned, the cloud services. So you've got, you, 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 you've got this small population that are ready to be cloud, uh, reside on the cloud to have their production servers on the cloud, you know, and that's, that's good, but it's probably a topic for a different podcast because there's a lot of stuff there, you know, as far as, you know, the, um, what is the whale thing? You know, dropper. Yeah, no, dropper. No, not uh, dropper. Uh, oh, shit. What's the name of that? This
1: this is a, a family podcast. Please refrain from swearing. <laughs> uh,
2: it's the whale thing. Anyway. Yeah. You you know what I'm talking about yeah Um, so you know into looking at you know those uh, both the tools and the technology to do cloud but cloud is a huge enabler for both continuous development or continuous deployment and continuous delivery Um, because that's what enables me to drop as a dev you know to have my whole pipeline drop something into either. A simulated production environment or to real production environment quickly, you know. So that's a huge enabler.
0: Yeah, I mean, like for me, I've worked with infrastructure and mainframe teams, and literally, if you're asking to do those things that you just talked about, there is a request, whether it be a ticket or anything like that, mm-hmm. that you have to go to the people that are literally on site with the mainframes, and they have to put the switch stuff. They literally have to set that stuff up in the cloud. Honestly, can be kind of the playground, if you will, as you said, in terms of, you know, oh, I was going to test this out. Right, right.
2: Yeah, and so in a cloud environment, you know, I can, you know, take my new version of software and create a new instance of my production server and deploy it onto that. You know, in fact, I can have that created instance of my production server, you know, set up through various tools like Puppet and Chef, you know, so it's set up just, you know, all – already and i can deploy my product to it you know and then i can either have it run in a background mode or run it live whichever for a certain segment of my population or for the whole thing so that's a huge enabler for the kind of the uh, shadowing or the um you know load balancing where i you know only do a portion of it
1: yeah so i was just gonna say steve but how, how many companies let's say financial services healthcare Who have legacy systems, how many companies have an opportunity to move? And I'm sure, I know the trend, I know specifically the trend is moving to cloud. Absolutely. But, but, you know, we're still going to have companies that are five years, ten years out from getting off of a mainframe. So how do how do those companies deal with this how do, you know
2: yeah the mainframe piece is is more more challenging um, but um, even there's there's cloud simulations of mainframes out there um, so it's not actually it's more to do with their willingness to move that direction you know, and saying do i trust the cloud and so on again different podcast you know because yeah, there's a good, a, a lot of, you know, stuff around should I move to the cloud and whatever, but that's a whole different topic.
0: Yeah, I mean, you talked about ops, right? Yeah. In terms of they're keeping the, they're literally keeping the, the place running. Right. So how does that change for them in a cloud environment? I'm very curious to to get your take on kind of that side of it because it was it was very structured. Oh, yeah. Right? In terms of a we have a box we have a thing like we know exactly what's on it we have load balancing we have all this stuff Right, security right. things on it and so forth like kind of how, how does that
2: the, the, Correlate to that. The biggest difference for me was when when the cloud folks that I was with, the cloud ops people that I was working with, because I mean, I don't have any, I, I have very little knowledge of, of myself. I gained it all from working with ops people. And mm-hmm. so that's why earlier, you know, I have such a huge respect for the ops people, for the good ops people. And there's some of them that are just, you know, busy hands on keyboards. That, that's all true. But there are some ops people that are just out of this world. And those are the ones that you want to pay attention to when you start talking about op, DevOps. And particularly when we next talk about DevOps nirvana. Those are the people I'm talking about. But for, for those people who say, you know, these people have said, what was the question?
1: Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: dear! Yeah, there we go. Is coming in there we go. The two brothers is taking effect. Uh, no,
0: it was really more around. You, you were you were definitely getting there. You were on the path. I know. You were on. The I path, lost it. But it was the, and I think you were you were like right across the finish line, you know. Uh, you have the brother that's like carrying his other you know brother across the finish line of the marathon, which is. Are they well, in a three-legged race? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, no, it's more of, you know, from the ops people's perspective, what does this whole cloud services Uh Yes, for, so for me, the,
2: the, the biggest thing that they enlightened me on was they said, hey, you have to recognize that regular ops people view servers, hard, hardware servers, as pets. They're pets. That's they have to be taken care yeah, of. That's
0: really interesting. And I, I, that's I weird. totally now that he says that, that I freaks
2: totally me out. understand. You have that. to take care of them. You have to groom them. You have to you know, pet and coddle them because they're a pressure. You need to keep them alive.
0: Oh, so, the, the, you know, the, so the the is the for Agile after dark is definitely named Sazapras. <laughs> well, I was just gonna so say you, I didn't know we were gonna go this after Dark. Right, so <laughs>
1: So,
2: you know, servers in a hardware physical environment, they're pets. You have to, they, they have names. You know, think about it. How many servers, you, they have names. You take care of them. You have to, if they're sick, you fix them. You get them better. What do you now, mean if they're sick? It's a machine. Exactly, something goes wrong or something like that. Oh, Whereas dear. they told me, yeah, you know, the ops people and I love this analogy. Is they said, hey, in a cloud environment, if it gets sick, it's cattle.
1: You never name it and you shoot it. <laughs> if it's sick, you shoot it. You just kill it. And make another one. Okay. By the way, Sassafras is not a server. <laughs> She's really She's, here. Yeah. No. In,
0: right. No, we we we, uh, we shoot cloud services and make them into glue.
1: <laughs> right. So
2: you <laughs> shoot cattle when they're sick, but pets you you care and you coddle. Mm. Sassafras, you're gonna care if she gets sick. You're gonna care and you're gonna coddle. If you've got you know you know cattle out there, like cattle you know,
1: sixty-two
2: <clears throat>
0: point exactly, whatever whatever.
2: Yeah. Now, totally divergent, you know, a friend of, you know, a friend of my son, you know, they live out in Montana and they had, they raised a cow each year, which they harvested, you know, so they told me, yeah, the cow last year, and I think it was in 2013 that, you know, uh, Skyler told me, hey, the cows, last year's cow was named Steve. You know, so we're eating Steve this year. You know, it's like, all right, that's kind of freaky I was say, to me.
1: Harvested means hamburger,
2: right? You know, and well, they're from Idaho, and they were comfortable with we we name it and we're eating it. You know, right. but most people are not
1: comfortable with eating their pets. Okay, and so we know or their parents. Now, now we know about uh, ops people. Now, we now know how they're wired. So, I mean, here, here. <laughs> This is really hard for me to bring it back after. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, okay. After one of our amazing co-hosts here is, is being eaten by other people, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I I think there's a the cloud stuff. I think there's also um, you know the containers and microservices. Docker, right. that's the one. Yeah, Docker. It was Docker. <laughs> Docker. Yeah, we we were getting it right.
1: I mean, yeah, microservices are interesting because uh, I imagine it's another, it's another keyword. This I is see. this is what another thing. With Agile after dark. That's another podcast.
0: Everyone like everyone throws out microservices. They do. They do. And I was like, what does that really mean? Well, I, I'm actually curious to hear. Well, no, no, so
1: from like a product perspective, I, I would say microservices sounds great because it sounds to me micro means less money. And it no, seems to me man, like, to do with less money. But to me, when you say "oh, microservices," means we're going to break stuff up in small pieces. That's right. why they named the it small pieces. That's why they named but, it right. That. But, yeah. but but really, I don't. I have a feeling that's not really the case. Microservices.
2: No, it is. They named it because they break it into very small pieces. You know, each one. Okay, can, so less money. No. Because each one delivers a piece, a small piece of the functionality, but you need them all to work together.
1: Okay, so now I have more of a problem. No, no Steve, God. I've got more of a problem. I got, I used to have one thing, and now I have fifteen things, and they all have to work together, and I got to test them all. Like, what that's you yeah. all, you already had
2: fifteen things. Yeah. When you have any sort of large scale, if you have more than one product, if you've got, if you're a large corporation, you already had not just fifteen things, you had fifteen hundred things. But they were bundled into 500 applications and they were all intermixed. you know and so your integration problems were huge. but this is a different
0: podcast. Well, no I I agree with you that I, I think that can be another podcast, but from the annoying product side of the world, um, I think it is an interesting question. always in terms, looking for cheaper,
2: uh, always looking for less money Well,
0: yeah, exactly. Right. well, because they have a budget and they have to you know, even if he was talking to me about roadmaps and things like. From eighteen dev, months. And blah, from a dev blah, 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 blah,
2: and blah. ops perspective, just being jerks. You know, yeah. we don't understand those people. <laughs> yeah,
0: but I mean, hey, really, like, we pay you,
1: okay? Yeah. You know I'm just saying. Yeah, but
0: I, mean, I think that the interesting side of that is, as you break up things, I think the cloud. We were talking about microservices and stuff like that, which is, it, it's similar to when we're working with teams that they have a certain agile mindset or a Mm -hmm. CDCI mindset and you, we bring them in and we work with them as coaches and we say, we can need to switch your mindset a little bit. I would say the same thing for the product side of the fence, which is you are looking at an overall budget, overall roadmap, ideally a roadmap at least. Right. But if you're looking at a, at a budget for what you're going to try and accomplish, If you break it up into smaller bits like we do for iterations, if we do for things in terms of we really are investing in CI. We're investing in the two CDs and we actually invest, we understand the ops things, which is what Steve very clearly articulated, which I really appreciated that the product side of the fence understands that if we make these progressions in that versus Oh, we have these releases on top of these releases on top of these releases on top of these releases. And we're actually not building any efficiencies, anything that we're doing as we are standing right
1: now. That is the ROI. Well, so here's well. So I don't think we got to turn Nirvana, but yeah. I'm not convinced in your argument because I could care less. I just need to get something done in a time period that it's supposed to be done. And I could care less about CD, CI, CC, blah, blah, blah. I could care about all of this stuff because all I want is it to be done, and I want to know if something's going to go wrong earlier rather than later. Yeah, well, I
0: mean, that's you're you're playing the devil's advocate uh, product manager. I appreciate
1: that. Or an executive. It's or not just, executive, not just or manager. you're playing, you know, like, you know. They don't care. They, they don't. just want it done.
0: You know, it's the, the, the EVP. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the executive VP of... Being in dick <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, that's what you're up against. Well, and and all I, the complexity of this whole podcast boils down yeah. to the one guy who signs the check. Yeah, and until you can help them understand what Steve articulated very well, right. you will never get an well, understanding and the money to fund something. And
2: like and this. that's where the the executive they are actually going to love where we're going with Nirvana. Because in a nirvana state, now the challenge here is that I don't need busy hands ops people. I need dev people. I need people with dev skills in order to get to my nirvana state. But the nirvana state is that, in, well, because the beauty about dev people, one of the, the things that in a dev ops, when they have their, their conferences, they recognize the, the value of devs is that they're lazy, that they don't. Stuff, yeah. They want to automate crap,
1: yeah. you
2: know. And so, you know, an ops person instead of just my, you know, in 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 the telecom world, we'd have in the telecom ops world particularly, they would they have these literal caves with these huge screens of just flashing, you know, alerts and yeah. alarms yeah, and yeah, whatever yeah. is going on. Oh my God, how n- mind numbing! But a dev person, you put them into that environment, and they're like. All right, let me, how the hell do I get out of this? Which is, the answer is, I automate it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm looking for which patterns are essential. And so that's the key to the Nirvana state, is you bring a development skill into an ops world to say, yeah. how do I automate and figure out what are the patterns that I look for that recognize my system's broke?
0: Yeah, and I actually have a team that I'm working on right now. Cool. They are a Kanban team. And they do a lot of service work, but they also do some story work. Uh, and they're an infrastructure team. So they're yep. kind of in the middle. Yep. They're not mainframe. They're not development. They're kind of in but the middle. But they're close to ops. They're pretty damn close to ops, right? Yeah. And they had a really difficult time. Understanding. They have like one guy that does scripts. Right. Oh, they need he several. Does, they need he does, multiple. He does shell scripts, right? Yeah. Nerd alert. And yeah. we, we, we've we worked with that team to have a lot of other people take over that. But we had them say and agree to that as part of their Kanban board in terms of the ready, you know, uh, mm-hmm. their, their Kanban backlog is that they will, as they're working on their work, they will identify places where they would say, you know what? Some scripts would help with this. Oh, yeah.
2: Perfect. Perfect. That's the right mentality to have, to say, what is it that I need to do? And so when you start to talk to the real ops people, the people who have to be up 24-7 or get the Mm -hmm. uh, weekend calls that say, hey, you know, I don't want you to put this into production because you're not ready to take this, take the call. Those people who say, okay, let me look at the patterns. What what are the signals that tell you when the system and the early indicators? So, you know, it's easy to find the failure points, but the the craft of it is to say, okay, what's the early sign that the system's about to crash? You know, okay, this page count goes high, this memory count, what are those indicators on the servers so that we can tell before the customer ever makes a phone call that, hey, what? you know our our server our yeah. system is about to hit, suffer a catastrophic failure that's what nirvana state is you're yeah. constantly monitoring it's an automation of the monitoring and it's frankly it's close to ai yeah. they don't ever call it ai yeah. but f- having a having a masters in computer science and studying you know ai it's pretty close to ai stuff because it's the pattern matching of what is a what is a good op what is a good operational system look like from all of its operational you know, you look at Splunk and all of its feeds and, and these different monitoring things. How do you predict when a system is going to go south? Yeah. I okay. Oh, wait a second. Well, I, no, I, no. I
1: can't. My head's <laughs> going to explode right now. I can't even deal. Well, look, I was going to say, this I, is I, I, I had
0: an unbelievable tech coach that was working with, working with me on that oh team. My God. I
1: tried to stop it, audience. <laughs> I tried to stop no,
0: it. No, but they, he basically said, as we were, we were at the beginning with this team that I was just describing, and they were saying, well... We have this drive where we have these scripts. Yeah. And we copy the scripts and we do that. And like but otherwise I'm basically going on to the servers to make sure literally going on to the servers Right. to make sure what has been installed yes. is working. Yeah. And my tech coach he he was he felt bad about it afterwards. I thought it was amazing. He's like, You cannot right click your your way through life. <laughs> yes. That is not that is not an option. That is not where the world is going. So when we talk about the Nirvana stuff, the right-clicking your way through your work, that is not the way that's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I, I don't even know. I, I, I lost track when we were talking about cucumber or whatever you were talking about. So, and The, the, the cat cucumber sat, is a thing, sad sad I He know. actually never mentioned I cucumber, but, but it I is know. a thing. It is. But here the cat ran out of the room, and that means time to go. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I want to thank Steve. I really, I really appreciate your time, uh, walking Greg through all of this. Uh, I think he got a lot out of it, and I hope everyone else did as well. Um, but thank you again, Steve. It was fun. It was yeah. a blast. Yeah, and I think uh, we have some good follow-ups for future podcasts.
1: And I mean, what do you think about this, the, uh, you know, the Agile After Dark studio? I mean, oh, pretty luxurious, don't you think?
0: Well,
2: except for the mission gear. You know, mm, a, the yeah, Michigan gear is a, is a downer, but uh, the rest of it
1: is yeah. okay. It's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, we're going to deal with that over time. <laughs> well, we'll take some
0: shots at the Ohio State uh, shot glasses, and we'll be all good. Well, thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us for this podcast. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Again, if uh, if you have any feedback or questions, please send it to uh, feedback at agileafterdark.com. What was that again? Yeah, it's feedback
1: at... Something.com. Yeah,
0: it's AgileAzureDark.com. Thanks it. so much, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Mike, I close to the mic, Brandon?
1: This is to answer, make sure.
0: Jesus, Jesus. Christ. Dude. Well, you, if you're looking at Steve,
1: <laughs> you, you know you know what it really Maybe is? Intimate to it world. really
0: is. I'm just, yeah. like, jealous that he's looking at you more than he's looking at me. I just have problem. <laughs> you we'll